Speak the Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you are going to want to check them out. Now, you can also find me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast for more dog training videos and content coming your way. And if the visual thing, well, if that's more your thing, you can head on over to youtube.com slash speakadogcast. Find me there. Click that subscribe button. Click that thumbs up. I really appreciate it. And if you want to support the show even further, become a patron of the show today. Patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And of course, guys, if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor. Scroll on down. Give me that like. Give me the thumbs up. Give me the five-star rating. Leave a review. I would greatly appreciate it. Yes. Now, on today's show, we're going back to basics talking about the basics. Yes, I'm going to give you a little bit of a condensed version of what basic training tools, basic training exercises, things you need to do with your dog to gain training success. Yes, the fundamentals, if you will. Then comes how to get through to an anxious dog. Does your dog have some anxiety issues? Uh, we're going to talk about the first steps you need to take to get your dog over that. Then comes the History of Animal Mascots 101 and the Listener Q&A. And if you guys have any questions for the Listener Q&A, you can keep sending them my way. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or feel free to message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going, I have to give you the uh, trivia question of the day. And today's question is going to be, how many flowers do honeybees have to visit in order to make one pound of honey? Yes, how many flowers do honeybees have to visit to, in order to make one pound of honey? I will give you the answer somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, back to basics, the basics. Yes, we're going to go over some of the most basic training tools, the most basic training uh, things that you need to do, right, in order to cover the basics and make a good dog. Now, it's not to say that doing every single one of these things is going to make a wonderful, perfect dog. There is a lot that goes into it. That's why this is the basics, right? Uh, there's more that goes into creating a wonderful dog than just the basics, but the basics are that first building block that's going to get you there. And I can tell you every time, if you don't have these basics, if these things in line, the fundamentals, if you will, you're going to have a hard time getting to the great dog, right? The dog that comes to you from 100 feet away without a problem. Uh, great recall, listens almost every time, right? Because they're not 100%, they're still animals. But again, practice the basics and you get good results. Look, it's just like with athletes, they practice the fundamentals over and over and over and they get better results. Amazingly, again, I always do golf references. How can I not? Um, <laughs> last weekend, right? These guys are playing four rounds of golf, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was incredibly hot. It's grueling. I mean, it's it's a lot. And those of you that don't really know and have never truly walked a golf course and playing four rounds like that in a row, especially for money and the stress and <laughs> paying your mortgage payments, it's a lot. And uh, even after the round, that's what's incredible. Saturday night after the round, some of the guys literally go back out after playing 18 holes. They go back out to the range and they go back to the basics. They pull out their wedges and they go back to the fundamentals. They get on the putting green. They lay down their alignment sticks. They do things that amateurs have to do all the time <laughs> to even hope to get anywhere near where they are, which most of us never, ever, ever will. But that's the point. They practice the basics. They've practiced those fundamentals so much to a point that it's autopilot and so much to a point that they're doing it even again after they've already played their round to nail it in because that's how important the basics are. 
that's how important practicing the fundamentals are in anything you do. Anything. Um, you know, look at exercising. If you're getting back in shape and you're trying to get in shape, how important it is, is it to stretch properly? Very, right? You're going to hurt yourself if you don't. So that's a fundamental of exercising is proper stretching and proper warm-ups, right? So when we talk about training our dogs, we've got to do the same thing. We have to do the proper exercising physically, mentally, all these things we need to do to set ourselves up for success. So let's just dive into it. What are the basics, right? The most basic thing to me when it comes to dog training, more important than anything else, is focus, right? Focus. If we have focus from our dog, we have the ability to guide and direct them. And quite frankly, guys, when it comes to training animals, I don't care, any animal on this planet, it doesn't matter what species, what you're working with. When it comes to working and training with animals, if you have their focus, you can guide and direct behavior because that is the essence of training. Look, think about children. Um, if they're not focused in school, how are they going to succeed? If your child isn't, if they're in trouble and they're not focused on you and listening when you're trying to say, hey, what you did isn't right and discipline or what have you, if they're not focused and listening, it's not going to get through to them. So it's no different with your dog. If your dog does not know how to focus, it's a big problem. And so the number one thing you should be starting with when it comes to training your dog, the number one basic is creating focus. How do we do that? There's definitely a few different ways, but look, it's always, I always go back to my basics, my fundamentals, one of the, the first building block I do um, pretty much with any dog I work with, and that's my kissy noise exercise. It's not rocket science. It's not something I made up, right? We make a kissy noise and the dogs look up at us. We get that eye contact and then I feed them a treat, right? So it's going to be pretty simple. I'm going to go call their name, Fluffy, Steven, Coco behind me. She's like, oh, dad, you're not really going to give me a treat, are you? Uh, not that she really thinks that, but you can see the autopilot response that's going behind me that's been triggered through that kissy noise, right? Good girl. Um, so the kissy noise exercise is very, very important and one that you need to practice at home over and over with your dog in order to gain training success. And to me, like I said, it's the number one building block. So again, very basic, kissy noise, call their name, get them to look at you, you make that eye contact, you hold that eye contact, and then you feed a treat. Now it's gonna start with holding the eye contact for a couple seconds. It might be very fleeting. If we have a very hyperactive dog or a dog who's just completely ADHD, it could be a one or two second hold of that focus to start with, and that's it. That's all I, one second, one second is all I can get, and if I can lock it, good boy, give them that treat right away, okay? Pick what, pick with, uh, work with what you've got, okay? Training starts with incremental success. So kissy noise, focus, reward. Kissy noise, focus, reward. If you can get six, seven, eight, nine, ten of those repetitions of just a one, two second hold of their focus, you'll be shocked before you know it. They're gonna start going, wait a second. Every time I look at this dude, they, he, he just, he gives me food. I'm gonna keep looking at this dude, okay? That's, it, it really is. They're gonna figure it out. It's that simple with enough repetition. So then, we're gonna hold the focus for five, six, seven, eight seconds before I give them that treat. Kissy noise, get them to look at you, count in your head. Two, three, six, seven, eight. I don't need to count all eight seconds, right? And then reward them. Then we're gonna extend it to 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute. Then we start making it variable. We start changing it up and varying the amount of times. Sometimes it's gonna be five seconds, sometimes I'm gonna make, make you wait a minute with that focus, okay? That way they understand it doesn't, matter what's happening. Sometimes we're going to ask for that focus for a little bit. Sometimes we're going to extend it. It really teaches your dog to hone in on you, to know you have information to offer, to know you have reward. Well, that's information too. Uh, know that you have information to offer them and it works in their best benefit to pay attention. And sometimes you're going to ask for that attention for minuscule seconds. Sometimes it's going to be a minute or two, right? 
That's the most basic building block right there. Cannot stress it enough. You have to spend time utilizing this kissy noise exercise, especially at home when there's no distractions to start with, because then you can work your way up to things like the walk, distractions, what have you, front door exercise, all kinds of good stuff. All right. So the kissy noise exercise and creating focus. Number one building block. All right. Number two, we're going to kind of group a few things together here because what is it? It's commands. I do believe commands are a very important basic um, training tool that you've got to have in your training belt. I do say there's kind of some core commands you should go for, and that's why I'll give you my core commands of what I think every dog should know. And then, Hey, you can go from there and sky's the limit, right? But we have a sit. Everybody knows what a sit is. A stay. Everybody knows what a stay is. Now, um, well, we'll talk about that in a second. A sit, a stay. How about a lie down? Very important. Teaching your dog to lie down, teaching them a relaxed position. Okay. Uh, drop it. A drop it command is very important. Teaching your dog to actually relinquish something to you, whether it be a toy or whether it be maybe something that they shouldn't have. That's why a drop it command is really important. Then we have the leave it command. That's the leave it alone. That's before it gets in their mouth. That's, I don't want you to touch it. I want you to leave that alone. Maybe you drop some food that could be not so good for your dog and you don't want them to touch that food. Leave it command. Uh, if we're out walking and we don't want to have your dog chase the squirrel, leave it command. Uh, maybe you just don't want your dog to get too hyperactive with the other dog that's losing its mind coming at us. Leave it command. <laughs> okay. Um, so sit, stay, lie down, leave it, drop it. Those are like the five core, but I'm kind of extending this because honestly, the, the, I, I say five for simplicity's sake, but there's got to be more because six, six is that release word. We talked about this release word recently. Um, essentially, a release word lets your dog know that you're done. You're done asking from them. You're something from them. You're done asking for their focus. I release you. You can go. You can do whatever. Okay. So if I ask my dog to sit and stay, they should continue to do so until I release them. If I put down their food, stay. If I say leave it, whatever, all these different, any command I give my dog, they should continue to do it until I release them. And quite frankly, it makes it a lot easier for your dog to understand because it's making it black and white. I'm asking you to stay. Now I'm releasing you versus, well, you asked me to stay. Do I get up now? Do I get up in five minutes? What do I do? Right? Very black and white, easy for your dog to understand. My release word's all right. It, a lot of people say, okay, whatever you want it to be, doesn't matter as long as your dog knows it's a release word. Okay. Um, then we also have things like go crate, go to your crate, uh, or go to your spot, a modified version of the crate once we get our dogs outside of the crate so we're not crating them any longer. We talked about the spot place command the last segment, uh, excuse me, the last episode. So feel free to go back, check out the last episode if you want to learn more about the spot command, how to create that, how to train that further in depth. And of course, my Instagram page, um, we have a video up there of training the spot command too. So check it all out. But Spot is very important. We're not going to get into the details of that because like I said, the last segment really focused on it. So we'll just kind of say, hey, teach your dog a spot command, right? <laughs> okay. And then I think there's another important one you got to teach your dog and that's the, that's the paw command, right? Every dog should know a paw command. Give me paw. Uh, so you should teach your dog that too, just for fun. But guys, those are the core commands you really should have under your belt and they will get you a long, long way in your training. Okay. Because Again, I mean, it's very basic. A sit, a lie down, it teaches your dog a calm, neutral position. It relaxes them. A leave it, a drop it can be utilized literally for safety's sake. Um, so leave it and drop it's are really important. A release word, having your dog understand when and where they're supposed to uh, listen and then when they can do their thing and be a dog. Uh, spot command, it also can teach relaxation. Goes a long way. Again, go listen to the last episode for more on that. But those core commands 
give your dog so much structure, so much information to work with, okay? So if you focus on creating that, the fo if you have, well, how about we to go back to the first thing? If we focus on the focus first, then create the commands, and we can kind of do both simultaneously. It's amazing how we can go to the third basic thing that I think every dog should have. And the third thing is going to be that recall. A recall, getting your dog to come back to you. Most people don't uh, kind of reference the word recall when we think about it, but you're recalling your dog. Your dog is coming back to you. That's what it's called. It's called a recall. Okay. So getting your dog to return to you. It starts by doing it in the house, right? That's where a recall is going to begin. It starts in the house with what our wonderful kissy noise. This is why the kissy noise is so important and it's very important that you strengthen it because we utilize it down the road for so many other things. We're using it for the recall. Okay. Um, when, when I start doing this, I start from a foot or two away. Heck, I can even start on a spot, put my dog on a spot, say stay, and then go, all right, come here, come here, come here. Or call their name or come or whatever you want a recall command to be. To me, it's calling their name and saying, come here. That, that's my recall command. Hey, fuzzy, fluffy, whatever. <laughs> come here. Okay. Come, come here. Come. That's what I say. Okay. Keep it simple. Um, but I start with, I can start with a dog bed. I can start with utilizing a spot command, a place command and getting them to come to me, come to me from just five feet away. Okay. Then I might go around the corner in my house, tell them stay on the spot and then get them to come to me. Come here. Okay. Before you know it, if you do this enough times, your dog's going, and of course, should mention, I mean, I, I hope it's obvious by now, but I should mention when your dog does come to you, you give them a treat and tell them, good boy, good girl, okay? Uh, good come, good come here, good boy, okay? Then we start utilizing it in a safer position, but maybe somewhere a little more distracting, like a backyard or a back patio with smells and scents and all that kind of distracting nonsense, right? Maybe even we're utilizing a nice uh, training leash here, one of those long, uh, regular old, like cloth leashes, but they're 20, 30, sometimes even 50 feet long. We can utilize a training leash in our yard. So we're doing it safely, making sure we have the ability to contain our dog if we need to. Okay. But this is a good place to take it to the next level. We work on the recall inside the house. We strengthen it and strengthen it in there. And then we go to somewhere like a backyard or somewhere a little safer, but more distracting. Then we start working the same thing. Now, look, honestly, from when we get outside, the first couple times I like to put on that training leash and I like to not give the dog an option. What I mean is they're going to be distracted 20, 30 feet away from me. They're sniffing something. I'm going to call their name and gently, very carefully, guys, don't, you know, don't yank them or anything nuts. Um, please be careful and please use your brain for this. But I'm going to reel them in and call their name and make that kissing noise at the exact same time. Not give them an option to run away from me. It's like, dude, you're, you're coming over here. And the best part is once you get here, boom, handful of treats in your face. Right? So I want to utilize that training leash to not give them the option to run away. And to show them that immediately turning and coming toward me is awesome. It gets you exactly what you want. And you'll be surprised because within a couple repetitions of doing that immediate call and, and, and reeling in, you'll be able to drop that leash and your dog's going to come running over to you. Okay. Now it's something we need to take our time with. It's something we need to make sure we still have that leash on, even if we think our dog is doing fantastic. Yes, guys, don't be overconfident too early. Spend weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months and months, quite frankly, reinforcing and strengthening a recall. Do it safely, do it with a leash, because the second you pop off that leash too early and you think, oh, he knows, he's gonna take off on you and you're in trouble. And then you just absolutely undid all of that training you had been working on. So I implore you, 
Be safe about it. I don't care if your dog has been doing wonderful at it for three weeks. Make it seven or eight weeks. And again, what, what's the harm in letting your dog in your front yard drag a leash around? There's no harm in it if you're out there watching them, monitoring them, which you should be, okay? Uh, but there's no harm in that because the only bad thing that's going to come out of it is, I don't know, nothing because they're tethered. <laughs> You see what I'm saying here? Okay, so guys, be smart about this. Please, please, please don't trust your dog too quickly. All right? They're smart. They know when that leash is on and when it's not. It's important that you've conditioned it to a point that it doesn't matter once the leash pops up. That's how much you have to strengthen that behavior. All right, so throwing that out there. Okay, then you can take the recall to the next level, go to like a dog park or something. Um, but, you know, look, it's funny. A little side note on dog parks really quick. We haven't talked about dog parks in a long time. Um most of you out there that have been to dog parks, you, you probably have seen they have a list of rules somewhere in the end, usually by the entrance to the dog park somewhere around there. Uh, and they have a list of rules. And the rules, I mean, let's be real, guys. The rules are there because of incidents, right? And almost always, almost always, one of the, one of the rules on that thing, on that sheet, is your dog must know a recall. Now, some of you out there are probably laughing right now because you've been to a dog park and you've seen how many people have never spent even five minutes, let alone five months, teaching their dog a recall. <laughs> yes, it's one of the required rules, but nobody follows it. So it's so important, guys. It's so damn important if you're going to a dog park or any public location if there's anything off leash, I don't, you know, whether your law permits it or not, and again, if it doesn't, that's a different story. Um, but there are a lot of states that allow off leash walking. You're allowed to walk your dog off leash. If your dog is not like solid on a recall, I'm sorry, as a professional, I'm telling you, you have no business taking that dog off leash anywhere in public if you do not have a solid recall. Is that to say your dog should be 100%? Again, as I said at the beginning, no animal is ever going to be 100%. There are dogs that can be damn close but they're animals and they're, they're not perfect, right? Uh, they're amazing, they're pretty damn close to it, but they are not perfect. And that is why it's so important that you take the time to teach your dog a recall, condition, and strengthen it. I know, I've spent a lot of time talking about this recall because it's so, guys, think about it. This is popping the leash off. This is, this is like your kid turns 18 years old, you send them off into the real world and you're no longer there. A lot can happen is all my point is. It's not to say it's gonna be your dog's fault, but if your dog gets into a situation that stinks, it's not their fault, and they know a recall really well, and they hear you calling, it's more likely they're going to come back to you and stay out of trouble. But if we haven't taught our dog a recall, they go into panic mode potentially, and then they don't know what to do, and then we have a problem, right? Food for thought. Um, to me, the recall is probably the most important basic, but it takes starting with the focus, then the commands, and building up to a recall to get that to happen. Now, I hadn't talked about my favorite basic yet because guys, I've talked about it ad nauseum. I didn't wanna to go too into detail on this today, but the walk, the walk has to be talked about because it is a basic, it is important, and it is an absolute 100% must, no matter the breed, the size, or anything of your dog. The length of time of the walk, that level of energy, that's gonna depend on the size of the dog, the breed, all that good stuff. But walks have to start at least at 30 minutes, guys. 20 to 30 minutes, well, we'll say 20 because it's, freaking hot out. All right. Right now at this time of year, we can limit it depending upon the breed. But if you have a high energy breed, you need to be walking longer than that. All right. So we're not going to go into all the basics and all the craziness of the walk today because I have so many segments, so many episodes dedicated to the walk. Check them out. Find them. They're amazing. Go understand and learn how to walk your dog better. But the walk is without a doubt 100% 
one of the most important basics, okay? Next to the, really next to the, uh, you know, I'm sitting here, my brain going, my brain is fighting itself because I'm going, well, the walk is the most important. Yeah, but you got to have focus to have a walk, so the focus is more important. Yeah, but commands are important too, and you can't just, you know, you can't discount. Commands definitely go to me to, it's not that they're not important, it's just that the walk and focus and recall are almost more important. A recall is a command though, so you see what I'm saying? My brain is going nuts. Um, <laughs> guys, they're all equally important. That's why we call these the basics, and that's why you can't pick and choose which basics you want to practice. The greats practice the fundamentals. And if you want your dog to be great, and if you want to be great with your dog, you absolutely must practice these four fundamentals. Remember, guys, it starts with the focus, which is my kissy noise exercise. Then we're going to go on to our command. Sit, stay, lie down, drop it, leave it, release command. Go to your spot, go to your crate, and of course, a fun one. Give me your paw. Uh, yeah, then, it, then we have the recalls. We talked about, guys, it starts with inside the house creating a recall. You can utilize a spot command to do that move it outside safely, maybe into public places, taking it slowly, making sure you're certain you've spent enough time strengthening and reinforcing that recall. And of course, last but definitely not least, you have to have a proper walk with your dog. Check out other segments to learn how to do that today. It's all about the quality of the walk, not necessarily the quantity. Uh, so again, go check out those episodes on the walk and learn how to get your dog walking better today. I hope you guys practice the basics. Get out there. Do it. Yes. Get those fundamentals going. And I promise you, you will see an improvement in your dog's behavior. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. get through to an anxious dog. Yeah, anxiety is not the most fun thing to deal with with your dog. You feel bad for them, you know. Uh, you don't want your dog to feel anxious. You don't want your dog to feel scared. And I get it. But the problem is, as human beings, we empathize a little too much and we may actually be making the anxiety worse sometimes, right? So let's kind of talk about this today. And I know I can hear David, my dog loves me. Guys, sometimes we have to look at ourselves and realize maybe we're not doing what's best for our dogs. Look, if you're listening to my podcast, there's a chance you maybe just love dogs, right? Cool. Uh, but there's a chance you may have a dog with some behavioral issues. And if you're listening to my podcast and other podcasts or reaching out to a professional, then you have to ask yourself and you have to kind of admit to yourself, you have to say, Am I part of the problem? Am I, um, am I missing a piece to the puzzle? Or maybe I'm not putting a piece in I could be that's causing and creating this problem. I, you know, I've had clients in the past where they've told me they've had the dog since it was eight weeks old and the dog is beyond screwed up, just being honest. 
And I also have people that come to me with dogs that come with the baggage because it's a rescue dog, but they can't figure out how to make it any better. So there's different levels of anxiety. And the interesting thing is whether we create that or not, most of the time people keep it going. That's why they call me. That's why they're listening to the podcast. That's why they're looking for a professional is because they can't figure out how to get the anxiety to go away because most of the time unknowingly, they're reinforcing it and keeping it going. I'm not trying to point a finger. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being honest. And unfortunately, in my line of work, it takes a level of honesty sometimes with a client to get them to understand they're not helping the situation. And unfortunately, they may even end up be being like hurting the situation. Um, it's a tough conversation to have. But we have to understand that when it comes to anxiety in our dogs, a lot of the times, if not vast majority of the time, the people are a big part of the problem of why the dog is not getting better. Again, I'm not saying everyone who owns an anxious dog is, is making it worse, but a lot of them are. And that's just the reality I walk into all the time. But here, and here's the thing, they're doing it from a good place. It's not like they're doing it because they want the dog to be anxious. They're doing it because they're, they're trying to heal the anxiety from a human perspective and in a human way. And we have to remember dogs aren't humans. They're, they're dogs. And so if we come at it from a human perspective and a human way of healing, well, we're probably not going to get the best result. So when we approach anxiety in dogs and, we, and we're trying to talk about fixing it, we have to approach it from a dog perspective. The way We have to understand the way a dog thinks. We have to understand the way a dog perceives the world to whatever level we can understand that, right? And we at least can understand the basic ways they learn and the basic way behaviors become conditioned because what we have to view anxiety as is a behavior, right? It's no different than um, a dog jumping on a person when they walk in a home. That's a behavior. That's an undesired behavior. So if a dog's sitting and shaking in the corner when someone enters my home, that's also an undesired behavior. They're both behaviors, right? And so we have to look at how behavior forms, how behaviors become conditioned in a dog brain before we can undo them, right? So stay with me here. <laughs> and I know a lot of people don't want to hear this next part. But we oftentimes unknowingly make our dogs worse by trying to comfort them. Oof, there it is. I know, I know, David, my dog gets comforted. And here's the question I want to ask you. If you truly are comforting your dog, why do they keep getting anxious then? It may calm them down in the moment, but it's not fixing the anxiety, is it? Tomorrow we run into the same problem. If I bring that trigger back out, whatever it might be, is your dog going to start shaking again? And if the answer is yes, then your comfort is not helping the problem. It's only continuing the anxiety. Yes. You see, you see what I'm saying? Look, I look at behavior very much like this. This I'm trying, like I'm trying to give you the visual I see in my head because I think it helps me, but it's a very hard thing to explain. It's a very hard thing to be tan. It's a very personal perception. Uh, I, call it what you will. I, I think this is what some people, I'm not, you know, patting on them, I'm just being on. I think this is where, where anybody who has a gift for something, I think that's just it. It's the way their brain synapses connect on that, on that gift, that they see it differently than other people. And it's sometimes it's very hard to put that into a perception that everyone can understand. So 
like this is tough. Like this is kind of messing with me here. I'm having, yeah, this is interesting. Two segments and screwing with my own brain. Um, <laughs> but I try to see behaviors as, I mean, I guess the easiest way to say it is sort of like a, a graph, right? We have a graph with two different uh, bars on it, like a bar graph. And we have good behavior and we have, or desired behavior, should I say, and we have undesired behavior. And when behavior gets strengthened, whether undesired or desired, either bar, it's going to increase, right? And then the other bar, let's say, let's say, okay, so long as you're watching here, right? Now my left hand here is going to be the desired behavior. My right hand here is going to be the undesired behavior. And all of a sudden, someone comforts Fluffy because Fluffy's shaking and scared. That's an undesired behavior. And what do we do? We comfort them. And the dog goes, oh, I should keep being like, okay, I'll keep being anxious. They got their safety blanket. They feel better. But that anxiety just got reinforced and strengthened. So now the bar graph is raised to here. So now tomorrow when we have that exact same trigger and that exact same thing happens, which bar is bigger? The anxiety or the not anxiety? See what I'm saying? So which are they more likely to go back to tomorrow? Which one's the, the bigger one? Which one's been conditioned more? Which one has been strengthened more? And it becomes very easy to see in your head, oh, well, geez, I, I can't strengthen that behavior because that's not a behavior I want. It's not a desired behavior. Oh, so we have to punish that behavior. Oh, David, you're going to punish anxiety? Well, yeah, by definition, I am. I'm going to give the animal something they work to avoid. So stay with me. If they're looking for my affection, they're looking for that reinforcement of the anxiety, they're shaking, and I pet them and they go, oh, okay, God, God I should be anxious. Keep being anxious. Okay. It may calm them in that moment, but in reality, it's not. It's reinforcing that anxious behavior. And they need, it's almost like a nervous tick. They need your affection, right? Whereas instead, if the dog comes up to me and starts shaking, here's the punishment. You ready for it? It's nothing horrible. I just give them a little touch. This is what I had to do with this little one behind me here. Okay, she used to do a lot of this. Um, I used to have to just push her away. That's it, just go, no, push her away. One or two feet of space, that's all I need. What, what's the dog going to do? They're going to come right back and try to get up on me and shake. Push them away. Might take six, seven, eight, nine times. Okay? If we've trained our dog a spot, this is where a spot command comes in handy. Go to your spot. Stay. Give me space. I'm not going to reinforce that anxious behavior. What does it take to fix anxiety and to get your dog out of that anxious state? Tough love. I know this is contradictory to the way we are wired and as human beings operate. But the reality is... I cannot reason with a dog. I can't reason with them. The same thing, like I saw a video just today where uh, uh, someone, uh, the dog's barking and it barks at noises, but nobody's at the door. So what does she do? She picks him up and opens the door and goes, look, nobody's there, nobody's there. But what does the dog keep doing? Barking at the door. Because she's not actually fixing the anxious behavior. She's not giving the dog a reason to stop. She keeps touching him. She keeps giving him affection. She keeps reinforcing the behavior and doesn't even realize it because she's trying to reason with a dog and a dog cannot be reasoned with. Apologize if you kind of hear in the background, it's pouring rain. It's summer in Florida. What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> I don't have a completely isolated studio. Um, anyway, so anxiety is one of these tough things because it takes tough love to fix it. If I have a dog who's rah, 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 at the door, I'm not going to go, it's okay, it's okay. Bah, bah, bah. Your dog is hearing tone of reinforcement. Oh, you want me to keep doing that? Okay. Rah, 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 rah. Cannot reason with them. Instead, I'm going to go, ch -ch -ch. no, redirect it, correct it, put on a leash, make a little small collar correction. We have to redirect that behavior and stop it and give them a reason to stop or else guess what? They're just going to keep doing it. 
Okay. And not only that, if I start talking to them, then I'm just reinforcing it and then I'm just strengthening them doing it. So when it comes to anxiety, we have to take away the safety blanket, take away the reasoning, and, and instead we have to get them calm in a way that doesn't reinforce that anxiety. Now look, let's go back to the scenario where they're trying to get up on me and shaking, get up on me and shaking, and I keep telling them to you know push them away, whatever, go to your spot. If at any point they go to their spot and they stay there and they stop shaking and they relax and they put their head down, I'm gonna go over there, give a little pat on the head and maybe a treat and say, good boy, and walk away. That's it, real quick, in and out. Now they're probably gonna pop right up off the bed. Oh my God, he gave me affection. <laughs> no, tell them, go back to your spot, stay, good. Notice I'm not being angry, I'm not being mean, just very matter of fact, go to your spot, good, stay. Okay, they relax, they lie down again, same thing, go over, give a treat, give a little pat on the head. Okay? We have to think of anxiety as this thing that you cannot reinforce. <laughs> and I know you already know that, but you have to view it as dogs are state of mind. So if they're in an anxious state of mind, the last thing I want to do is go, hey, it's okay, or reason with them, because then it's just strengthening and reinforcing that behavior. All right? Now, another big thing with anxiety that uh, we can do to, to alleviate it, exercise. Look, guys, it's proven for us. It's proven science. It's proven for the dogs. The more stimulated and exercised they are, the happier and healthier they're going to be. Okay? So this goes back to even the last, um, last the, the first segment today, practicing the basics. If we're not practicing all of those basics, which includes the walk and exercise, guys, forget it. Like, forget getting rid of anxiety. It's not going to happen. Exercise is paramount to getting your dog to release that anxiety. Part of anxiety I find with dogs, it almost gets so pent up, and for us too, that it becomes physical, it becomes this physical tightness. How can you ever let go of an anxiety if you're feeling like this, you know? So it's important that we relax, that we exercise, that we let our adrenaline go, our endorphins go in a healthy way. Otherwise they build up in an unhealthy way and they release in these unhealthy triggers such as reacting at, you know, aggressively or anxiously or whatever. Okay. So again, I want you to, to exercise your dogs in a healthy way, because look, if your dog is exercised and exhausted and all of a sudden that trigger at the door comes and they're going to go, eh, I'm tired. Forget it. I don't need to, I don't need to lose my mind at that. <laughs> okay. And it's the same with us. Things may not tick you off quite as much when you're well exercised and exhausted. The parents out there, <laughs> that's a different kind of exhausted, but exhausted nonetheless. Ooh. So y'all know what I'm talking about. You just kind of like, ah, whatever, you can clean up the mess. You know? <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, anxiety is one of those things where it's tough, guys, because in order to solve anxiety with a dog, you have to go against your own human instinct of trying to reason, of trying to coddle, of trying to mother them because it's not going to work and it's only going to make the anxiety worse. It takes tough love, then waiting for them to be in a relaxed state of mind. Once they find that relaxed state of mind, even if it's fleeting split moment, I'm going to find a split moment to reinforce and strengthen that relaxation. And you'll discover the more you redirect that anxiety in those anxious moments and the more you wait for relaxation and strengthen it, the more likely your dog is going to want to repeat that relaxation, right? It's all what gets strengthened and reinforced, okay, guys? All right, so important stuff, guys, important stuff. Stop coddling our dogs. Exercise them more. Think of moments to, fi to uh, find relaxation or create relaxation and reinforce them, okay? Good luck out there. Uh, good luck out there training your dogs with anxiety. And of course, guys, if you do have any questions with anxiety and you're really not certain how to proceed, make sure you reach out to a professional today. They're gonna help guide and direct your behavior so you can guide and direct your dog's behavior better. <laughs>
Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Now today, we'll be talking about the University of Iowa. The University of Iowa was founded in 1847, and it is the oldest university in the state of Iowa. Now, the university is known for their mascot, the Hawkeyes, but like many other schools, the Hawkeye was not their first or even their second mascot uh, to represent their athletic programs. Now, Iowa's original mascot was introduced by then head football coach Mark Catlin in 1908. He brought a black bear cub nicknamed Birch back to campus with him from his father's ranch in northern Wisconsin. The bear cub was housed in a cage at Iowa Field and accompanied the team on road uh, road games as well. Unfortunately, Birch did not last very long as the mascot. Yes, one day in the winter of 1910, the bear got out from his cage, found himself wandering across the Iowa River and fell into the icy waters and passed away. Now, the next animal to be featured in the 1920s and 1930s was a dog named Rex. Rex was said to be a Great Dane, and the ROTC military band featured the dog who wore a plumed hat, black and gold blanket with the ROTC insignia on it. Now, Rex died in 1932 of old age and kidney issues. He was replaced by his grandson, Rex II, who, in a bizarre twist of fate, also succumbed to the icy Iowa River, just like Birch the Bear. Fortunately, really, really sad. Um, So where did the Hawkeye come about? Now, the history uh, of the state of Iowa and the Hawkeye dates back to the 1800s. The name Hawkeye originally appears in the novel, The Last of the Mohicans, written by James Fenimore. Now, also a great movie that was made from this novel in the early 90s. If you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. Really, really good movie. And uh, anyway, the nickname Hawkeye was then given to the people of Iowa after the efforts of Judge David Rohr of Burlington and James G. Edwards of Fort Madison. Edwards was the editor of the Fort Madison Patriot, and in 1843, he moved the newspaper and renamed it the Burlington Hawkeye. Now, continuing the push to popularize the name, territorial officials actually gave their formal approval. But it was not until 1948 that the Hawkeye was given a symbol. Richard Spencer III was an instructor at the School of Journalism at the University of Iowa, and he created the cartoon character Herky the Hawk, although the name was chosen through a statewide contest put on by the athletic department. Now, it was during the 1950s that an anthropomorphic version was created, and Herky has come to symbolize the camaraderie and team spirit for the University of Iowa for over 60 years. It's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Simone from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Simone says, I have a puppy who's about eight months old. I want him to start swimming, but he's still scared of the water. I try to show him that it's okay, but he starts backing away and barking at me. My husband and I enjoy hiking and other outdoor activities, so we want him to enjoy it as well. Any tips? All right, Simone, great question. Um, You know, I have done some episodes on getting your dog to swim in the past. You can definitely go check those out. Uh, But, you know, look, we have a puppy, right? So it's sort of this, it's not that he's fearful necessarily of the water, but it's an uncertain thing. And so he's being cautious, right? One thing I would do is start just getting him near the water. Now, Grand Rapids, Michigan, I'm going to maybe guess you don't have a pool. (laughs) You're maybe taking him to the lakes. And if you're not taking him to the lakes, that's what I would recommend. Take him to the lakes. Somewhere there's a gradual entry. The water's not so scary. Um, And what I would do is just walk him near it. Walk him, find that threshold of however close it is where he doesn't care about the water and does. And you want to stay on the doesn't care side and just walk him back and forth, not really making it a big deal and occasionally just giving him food. Don't 
get overly, woo, good boy, not, nothing crazy, just hey, good boy, good, very calm. We don't want to create any unnecessary overexcitement that, the, that could be interpreted as anxiety and end up making him more fearful. So it's better to just, good boy, be very matter of fact about it, and just start associating, we're near the water, you get food. Once you feel like you've gone back and forth, back and forth, and he's just kind of ignoring it, doesn't even care, not even looking at the water, maybe move a little bit closer, same thing, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, treat, 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 okay? Until we can get him closer and closer and closer. One of the things I recommend is not pushing swimming too fast. We don't wanna scare him, we don't wanna make it uncomfortable for him. You wanna make it a good experience and something he's gonna be happy and, you know, something happy and, and that he's gonna enjoy. Um, and sometimes pushing too much too fast can create a really bad experience and then they like really wanna avoid the water. Um, so I would highly recommend just taking it slowly, trying to associate some food with it and just getting him closer and closer. Don't worry about him diving in, you know, face first to the water yet or anything like that. Get him just, slowly getting in, like I said, this is why we want the gradual entry, slowly just putting his feet in the water, walking around just ankle deep in the water. If you have friends that have dogs that love the water and love to swim, bring them along. It's always a great opportunity to let puppies learn through experienced older dogs. And again, you know, we can speak the language all day really well with all, you know, we can learn to speak dog really well, but we'll never speak the same body language, the same nuances that they do because we're not dogs. Um, so it, it can be really helpful to bring confident dogs along that already are, you know, know what's up uh, and let your puppy kind of follow along. But again, my recommendation is food, take it slow, walk near the water, slowly into ankle deep. You'll get there in no time. The only other thing I would say is put a life vest on him. So that way, if he does get into deeper water, he doesn't feel like he's going to sink. It keeps him afloat. So uh, good luck out there. Take it slow and build that confidence with the water with your pup. Next question. This comes from Gary from Miami, Florida. Gary says, with this heat, <laughs> how long can I walk my dog? He seems done after only about 30 minutes. In the winter, he can go for over an hour uh, without any problems. What do you think? Gary, great question because it is stupid amounts of hot. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. Uh, I think the heat index is like 107 again today. We've had 110. It, it's it's potentially worse down by you. Um, yeah, that's it. Look, it's a great question and it's tough because we want to get our exercise with our dogs in, but it's, it's almost near impossible this time of year. Look, I'll be honest. I wake up pretty early to get the dogs on a walk. You have to, it's just the only option. Like, I, you know, normally I say nine o'clock, 9am is about the cutoff. There's some days when it may even be earlier, but I'm saying cutoff is in, you should not walk your dog in the state of Florida in this heat at this level of summer. Uh, past 9 a.m. You just just don't do it. That's the first thing. Second thing is with concrete and asphalt, uh, five second, uh, the, the five second rule, guys, if you're not aware of this, the five second rule, take your hand, put it to the ground on the concrete. If you cannot hold your own hand there for five seconds, do not walk your dog on it. Okay, the heat from the asphalt, from concrete, from these materials, it can actually blister your dog's pads back. It's very painful. You don't want it. You don't want your dog to experience that. Um, so please, please, please use the five second rule. Okay, so with that said, how long can you walk your dog? Look, I like that you included he seems to be done after 30 minutes because part of it is I like to watch my dogs and let them gauge um, to me <laughs> how exhausted they are this time of year. It's one thing if it's cool out and the weather's great. It's another thing when it's blistering heat like this and the humidity for us, you know, people up north don't necessarily understand the humidity. It's, I know you guys get it. I can go, oh, David, I'm, I'm like, okay, guys, like calm down. You don't live in Florida. Just relax. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so anyway, um, let your dog be a little bit of a gauge. 
you know, we've got to watch out for the signs of heat stroke. A couple episodes ago, honestly, I don't remember exactly how long ago I could check and scroll. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we did, you know, things to watch out for with the summer heat, how to acclimate your dog the best, not using ice when they get overheated. And I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here, Gary, and I apologize because you really asked a very simplistic question, but there's a lot to it, right? I want to make sure people are being safe. Um, but yeah, how long can you walk your dog? If it's before 9 a.m., 30 minutes to an hour is like my... I can't tell you specific, you know, if we're talking a variety of breeds in a generalized thing, I would say no more than 30 minutes to an hour in this sweltering heat. Some dogs can go longer. Some dogs need to even go less than that. It really depends. But like one of my gauges I look for uh, just from an energy standpoint, I like to watch my dog's tail on the walks. You know, they start, we're happy at first and they're happy, don't get me wrong, the whole time. But they're very, they're up because they have a lot of energy and you'll slowly watch them drop. (laughs) And when I see the tail drop, Usually it correlates to a spooning tongue and we're getting a little hot and a little tired. Uh, But one other thing, Gary, to remind you of, please bring water with you. There's all kinds of great uh, devices out there, water bottles, bowls in one, gulpies, all kinds of stuff. Um, Bring water with you on the walk. It can literally save your dog's life. So please be smart about your walks. I can tell you already are because you're asking the question. So thank you. Um, But yeah, really my 30 minutes to an hour. And again, your dog is telling you 30 minutes, we're done. This time of year, I don't see the harm in that. If you need to take your dog for a second walk, you know, you really need that extra exercise you feel that, you you know, wait till the sun goes down. I know it's not what you want to hear, but you have to wait till like after eight o'clock for it to cool off enough to be safe to walk with your dog. Stinks. Like it it really, really stinks this time of year um, to live in hot environments and have to deal with this stuff with our pets because no fun. Um, So yeah, I hope that was the long answer short for you, Gary. Gave you what you needed and stay cool out there and please stay safe with your dog. The answer to today's trivia question, how many flowers does a honeybee have to visit in order to make one pound of honey? It's two million. Yes, two million flowers have to be visited by a honeybee in order to make one pound of honey. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can find me on Instagram at Speak Dogcast, YouTube at Speak Dogcast, and you can support the show even further by becoming a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash Dogcast. If you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, give me that thumbs up, that five-star rating, leave me a great review. I would truly appreciate it. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporters, Magula Wright and Jill Norenberg, and my dog friend, Maureen Cross. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.